Welcome to the first remote episode of PointCast Recap, where we talk to voters about issues that most concern them, and we encourage legislators to both listen and act. Uh, we are brought to you in part by LYAG Productions, a studio for both podcasters and musicians, and of course, PointCast News. To catch up on earlier episodes of Recap or PointCast proper, feel free to check out our website at pointcast.news or look us up on Apple Podcasts. Also, be sure to like and follow us on Facebook to be aware of when more podcast episodes are dropped. How's everybody doing today? As, as, <laughs> as good as can be expected? <laughs> That's about right, yeah. Doing great, Josh. Doing good. great. Yeah. So there's a, there's a lot that has been going on as of late uh, within these most recent weeks, especially within this month. Uh, so to stop this episode from being five, 15 hours long, um, <laughs> I've kind of condensed a couple very specific things I want to I wanna pick you guys' brains about today. But the first, you know me, I like to start with the Friday poll. Um, we actually got a lot of hits on it, but I, I, I don't think I actually got you guys' whole opinions on it. So for those of you who are listening uh, who may not have seen the Friday poll itself, it was mostly about how um, you know, the, the, the current administration has been looked at, I guess, see, some people have said it, uh, that they, they've been doing good things for the economy, that they, they've been, you know, researching the economy and a, a couple things of that nature. And so the poll was effectively, is it fair to hold this administration responsible for the downturn in the economy caused by COVID-19? Now, I know that you all know where I stand about the current administration, and I don't plan in ever in any way to ever make that not known. I feel like it's important that you all know where I stand, but in a general sense, um, I actually have mixed feelings about the economy, especially as it relates to COVID. And I feel like a lot of you guys will probably feel a very similar way about this kind of thing, given that no real economy can prepare for something like this, right? Like no matter how prepared you will have been, there's lots of things that this kind of situation just destroy or displace in, in a lot of ways. Um, I think that there are many ways in which our current administration could have handled it better, but that could be said about a lot of things. So we're not going to go into that too deep. But... <laughs> Uh, what, what do you guys think about that? How, how, do, how do you feel this, this current administration is uh, handling the COVID-19 epidemic or pandemic, I guess I should say, um, in terms of the economy? I mean, uh, there's nothing they could have done to stop the, the fallout just because even if they had actually handled the pandemic better, because it's global and our economy is global now more so than it ever has been, even if uh, we were doing relatively okay and everyone else in the world was melting down, we would still be feeling this. I mean, we saw this with the economic recession of like 10 years ago. Like when everyone melts down around the world, that's just kind of the ball game for us all now. So there's, I don't think they could have done much to stop it. They're going to be largely responsible for the recovery part of it though. Um, and that's the part that I've been baffled by because they've, they're dragging their feet on the recovery side. The Senate is going away. They're not continuing to pass legislation. And at some point I, I would think someone would tell this administration or the president, like, 
if you manage the recovery well, you will get reelected in a runaway. So it is in your best interest to like handle the recovery. And yet he's not, <laughs> it's confusing to me, honestly. Mm. Well, I'd like to go back to the premise of the question and, and then jump to where Anthony just went. The basic premise of the question really started from some discussions that were seen online about people basically saying, does a leader get a pass? you know, when considering the record when these sorts of things happen. And so it kind of focused it a little bit more on our particular situation as a country. You know, do, is this something that should go on the report card of current, uh, uh, of the current administration? And what I kind of came away from, when I thought about that and I did some more uh, study on it, what I came to is basically what Anthony was talking about, whereas it might not, I don't spare to blame any particular person in office for a pandemic, you know, taking hold as it has and, you know, the responses that we've had to uh, make in order to keep ourselves safe. But uh, I think Anthony is right. I think what, we, what will be charged to the administration is how they respond to it. And if they set us on a course of recovery that actually works. Um, I think people are afraid right now and don't really know what to do um, because we haven't really been in this space uh, in at least a century. Um, and we just don't, we don't design policy to respond to the healthcare needs of, of Americans. We just don't, we're not used to thinking like that. Uh, and we certainly so, don't do that with our, I'm sorry, Alex, go ahead. Jump no, in. no, go ahead. Finish. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, no, go ahead. I, All right. Well, so uh, I'm happy you, you, you brought that up. So uh, two things, one of which is, um, yeah, you, like, you, I agree. You can't hold any, like, a, um, a pandemic is like a natural event. It is a thing that happens, and it is a matter of when, not a matter of if, as long as um, biological entities are interacting. Um, that being said, what you do before a pandemic arises, um, you are accountable for. So like um, this administration uh, disbanding the pandemic response unit and um, destroying the stockpiled resources of the Clinton administration, the Bush administration, the, um, and the Obama administration. Yeah, yeah, no, you're totally responsible for. Well, there's, uh, there's some more discussion that probably has to happen around how we do stockpiles because some of the equipment, especially the masks, were dry rotted that hospitals received. It wasn't really even in good shape, what they did have. I guess because when you have maybe what you said, Alex, when you don't have someone at the wheel, uh, the office that would have overseen that was, is no longer really there. Um, so maybe you have a point there, but I think it was my, my point is that might be a totally separate discussion. Well, of, of equipment and uh, from your other point well is it though because um we have a so we have a fundamental failing in our economy as well and you kind of addressed that right um yeah. so 50 years ago um grocery stores stockpiled um goods so that like so that um if something like this were to occur they like they continued to have backlog but that created what like you know 
glut and inefficiency and that was like that's just been cut out as um as we as corporations attempt to maximize profit above everything else and that means that we have switched to a what's called a just-in-time distribution chain where things arrive just before they go out and um that led to these uh so when people panic understandably panicked that led to these short-term shortages of things like toilet paper and bottled water and soap and disinfectant wipes. And um, that's a problem and a vulnerability. And we're just really lucky that um, it, like, it started in China and not started he, they say, uh, here like the um, Spanish flu. Right, right, right. That's really good. say something real quick? Go for it. This is kind of a tangent, but like one thing that's just not made sense to me throughout all this entire process is how like if, you know, we're, we're dealing with like a thing that is very clearly respiratory. What does toilet paper have to do with that? Like, why is that the first thing that goes out? I wondered the same thing. I, mean... I, I You know what? I, I think that's panic shopping. I think that's like bunker. It, it is not just toilet paper. It's toilet trees. Um, also, you know, hand soap. Center. A lot of things are bleach. It's hard to find bleach. You're finding bleach-like products out there that are left on a shelf by themselves. I, I think this is just that just became the thing that was associated with this panic buying. Um, I don't. I that's a big question. I would love for someone to explain the toilet paper. Uh, obsession. Uh, I, I would too. Believe, so it's I, I get the belief. So it's so certainly. To, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> no, back to your point about how the economies of scales have changed. I remember um, studying some of that rule and the reason why and the cost of storage. That was like businesses were trying to streamline so they can be more efficient, move faster and the e-commerce economy, right? So when people order a thing, you don't, you save a lot of money, a lot more money and can drop prices supposedly if you're not uh, spending that money on storing the product. So I, that's the, the business uh, world responding to basically new technology being introduced. Um, and it, it, while it may have been supported by government, that wasn't necessarily the government decision, I don't, I don't believe. Um, back to the, as far as what the government has done, also your point about closing the pandemic office, I do wonder, because before Trump had settled into his office, he and his administration was taken through a couple of days of exercise um, by that office. I, I wonder what was seen or what he saw that made him devalue the need to maintain that office. And I don't think we're going to get answers to any of that until we get past this and get towards like a post-mortem where we get to decide, you know, we get to figure out, you know, what went wrong and, and all of that. I think right now the question remains, you know, do you hold someone responsible for uh, a tornado or a flood or a, a viral pandemic, you know, and what it does to, to the world around us? I mean, that's a good you know, that's a good question, but I kind of wonder if uh, you know I've mentioned this a few times amongst our group before, but 
I think that some of these questions are ones that are of a lot of interest to us, but uh, maybe aren't ones that your more sort of average political consumer considers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, back, I think about it in terms of like 9-11. We know now that there was some stuff that happened before 9-11 where clearly the administration had not paid attention to some of the warning signs. Uh, they pretty clearly had dropped the ball in terms of just, you know, there were people warning them saying, hey, we see some strange guys like learning how to fly planes but not land them. We think it's kind of weird. <laughs> you should look into that. And they just didn't. Um, But even when the story came out, a lot of the public in the initial four years, they gave Bush credit for managing his response to a crisis that his lack of preparation had in some way helped to create. Um, There were political, you know, people like us who really pay attention, who were upset about, about these things. But the average person was just going, he's doing the best he can under a bad circumstance, and that's what he got credit for. Um, now, Trump is more divisive than Bush, even, which is crazy to think about. Damn, done, damned remarkable. <laughs> so he won't get as much credit for that. But I, there's a part of me that thinks he will get a he'll get a bump from some people. He saw a bump initially. Now that started to go down. I think his constant press conferences have have cost himself whatever little bump he may have gotten but initially people were willing I think to give him credit for just trying his best even if his best was like plainly not good enough the bare minimum (laughs) yeah I mean right but is that just is that is that because is that how we feel as people who pay attention to this and do more typical political uh, observers voters do they that feel is, that way? That is how we feel as people who value our friends and neighbors. <laughs> well, not not well, only that, no. like I've I've had a couple conversations with like some of some of my more like I don't I I know you guys get on me for using words like this, but like yeah. not informed political <laughs> friends. <laughs> I, I I know this is it's 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 high and mighty of me to say it that way, and I, I apologize. I'm I'm working on it, but um, like a, a lot of the people who I know who just generally don't like they they passively interact with politics rather than actively looking at or for anything, and a good number of them who some of which were Trump supporters in the past uh, have been absolutely outraged by all the things that they're seeing because all of these things hit so close to home. I think so many of the issues that, you know, like Trump has kind of recreated here in America were things that didn't affect everybody. They, they were things that generally affected groups that you could distance yourself from without too much of a problem. But like a pandemic hits everyone, regardless of who you are, regardless of what color you are, regardless of what socioeconomic status you are. Like this shit is killing people in their homes, in, in the hospitals, literally everywhere, all ar- around the entire world. And the thing we see of Trump is him saying that what, like 10,000 American deaths would be a good job. Like what? Excuse me. So. Well, can we talk about the elephant in the room? Since it sounds like you're going there, Josh, the elephant in the room being, you know, opening up in a week or two. What's the date? Yeah. It, it's like, a yeah, about in a week or two or a week and a half, I think like the 28th or something. I think it was. 
um, and, uh, as, someone, as a member of the scientific community, uh, I feel obligated to point out things like this is, uh, hey, uh, you jumped out of a, you jumped out of a build, uh, sorry, out of a plane going skydiving, and you're like, I'm going slower now because my parachute <laughs> deployed. Time to drop the parachute. <laughs> exactly. I, yeah. This whole thing about opening up, I, I think Trump is actually trolling uh, everybody. And that I don't think he seriously intends to try to open up. He's saying it to get a rise out of people. And I think he's saying it as some sort of messaging to some of his supporters because he knows the governors won't do it. Like he can't make them do it. And as we've seen, a lot of the governors have formed their own little packs and they're just saying, we'll just do it when we're ready. And, and that's going to be the end of that. But he's going to keep saying these things because it portrays the image that he desperately wants people to see him as, as this tough independent guy who is the boss in every single room he walks into but like that's just not going to happen they're not going to listen to him i mean we're so far away from opening up that it's uh i just look today at italy's numbers still italy has not yet opened back up and they are still getting like 400 deaths a day uh at the end of march they had their peak and their peak was like 950 people died in a day, and they had like 6,000, 7,000 cases. As you all know, we're having like 2,000 people die a day, and we're seeing like 30,000 cases. Yeah. So Italy hasn't opened up in three weeks, and their peak was way, way lower than ours. Um, the idea that we're going to open up in like a week or two is it's laughably ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. I I don't think he's, I think what's really confusing to, to many voters is, and maybe even frustrating is during the press conferences, one thing is said, and then on Twitter, something else is said. And I think the unfortunate thing in a pandemic situation is politicizing in any way a response. You know, that can be very, very dangerous. Um, the whole liberate notices um, that he sent out on Twitter, it's basically in citing people to protest governors who were wanting to, I believe, keep their people safe. Um, I, I think that does more harm than good. And, and wouldn't, you know, wouldn't you feel badly if thousands of these same people became ill or went back to work too soon? Or I just, I'm not, I'm not sure what the end game is with that strategy, but it doesn't seem like it has a, um, like it's considering the overall health of people and what's best for people. It sounds like more of a political uh, contest. And that's unfortunate. I hope that he's not trolling. He's almost, what, 80 years old. You're like, really? <laughs> so I hope that that's not the case. I hope it's just a misfortunate, you know, judgment call or something and that he gets himself back on track and really evaluates the fact that you know, no people had. You know, it was news last week of the discouraging numbers between minority communities um, and this pandemic. The rate of people dying, and also the rate of people just not having access to the test. They're getting to the hospital. These large groups of people being found in nursing homes. You know, how does that even happen? <laughs> you know, I just there's just too many unanswered questions. Um, for me personally to feel safe. And then you have employers who are going to start the field and bolden to threaten people if they don't come back to work. 
that they're going to lose their jobs. Now that's the point that I think everyone is talking about. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, we, we could literally continue about this for days <laughs> at this point because there's, there's just so many things. But I actually wanted to get into uh, the meat of what, what it is I wanted to discuss today. Because I think that now more than ever, it's uh, important to know things like this. And Anthony, I'm going to reference the article that you shared, uh, Politics is for Power, and the, the statement that you made behind it. And I think one, one, of the most thing, one of the most powerful things that resonated with me is, you know, your explanation of why we do this. Not, not just that we're doing it, but the why. Because the why is also important. Um, and I think that in a general sense, it would be both beneficial, helpful, and in my opinion, good content to like help to enlighten people as to why we're all here as part of the PointCast team and why we do what we do right now, especially right now. And if you want, I can go ahead and go first just because I, I'm obviously the one kicking this off. But the three questions that I have to ask each of you are one, how you got involved in PointCast and why you continue to remain involved. Two, uh, what difference do you try to make in the political lives of both your own and your peers? And then three, obviously the most important one, why you do it. So I'll go ahead and start. So I got involved in PointCast because Francine asked me to be uh, you know, a guest on the show. And we talked a lot about how I feel about the current administration and what that means for me um, and why I thought a lot of things shouldn't be happening and are. And I continue to be involved because I feel like PointCast is one of the most beneficial things that I've ever seen on the internet. Like I personally believe in the mission of PointCast more than anything else that I've ever had to chance to be a part of. And I think that it comes from a very genuine place and we do a lot of genuine work. That's why I continue to do it. Now, my answer to my, answer to my own second question uh, would be that I, I'm not the person who's ever gonna go out and make like a, an NRA or like any sort of other like grassroots organization and like try to find people who can like fit in, in uh, local positions of power or things like that. But I'm someone who's generally always known a lot and really good at looking stuff up and I'm really good at talking to people and getting them to open up their minds, think about things differently and, and, and really dig deep as to why they feel the things that they do and why they do the things that they do. Um, and I think that that, that, mean, that matters more than ever, especially in this current political climate, that people really understand where they're getting their information from and obviously how they feel about it. And I do it because I think it's important, really. Like I, the, the reason why is that I feel like we can't afford not to, especially right now. And I do it because it's important especially now more than ever, like I, I feel like especially in this current political climate, we really can't afford not to. Um, it's, it's really too easy to get lost in, as we've labeled it, political noise. And it's, it's very helpful to know that there are other people who feel that you do or it, even that disagree because they can help you see things you may not have seen in a light that you may not have thought about. And that's why as much as I hate doing it, I, I've made strides to talk to Trump supporters um, it hasn't always gone well, <laughs> but we've, we've talked 
uh, we've had conversation and it's, it's, it's enlightening in many ways, both for myself and others. So that's, that's what I have to say on the matter. And that's, that's why I love the point casting. So we can open, the floor, open up the floor to anybody else who wants to add their two cents. Can you repeat the three questions? Yeah. So uh, technically the first question is two parts. It's uh, how did you get involved with the point cast team and why do you continue to remain involved? Because obviously we all have been here for a minute. Um, second question was what difference do you try to make in, the, in your own political life and the lives of your peers? And then third, why do you do it? And why do you find it important? Uh, I guess I'll go next. Um, the how is, so I have a friend, Frank, Frank Jameson, who's actually been a guest on a couple of different uh, interviews. He's been a guest on here a couple of times. Um, and so oh, he gave me a call just out of the blue one day. I was like, hey, man, I'm doing this. I did this podcast. The host asked if there was anyone that I knew who might be in, interested. And he was like, I thought of you first. Um, and so, you know, one thing led to another. I reached out uh, to Francine. We, we spoke and then I came on and did did a show. Um, and during that show, I mentioned, you know, how my family is and my background, biracial family. And so that led to me and my brother and my dad all coming on. And then from there, you know, we just continue to talk. Would I be more interested in doing more? And obviously I was. So that's the, the how it, it happened. I stay involved because um, I have been sort of a political obsessive for basically the last 15 years of my life. Um, when I was in college at Ball State, I was really exposed to a lot of people who, who weren't like me. And I realized that there's this huge range of political views out there. And, you know, I just absolutely fell in love with knowing about politics, consuming politics, thinking about politics all the time. And I realized how important it is to people's day-to-day -day lives. I tell people frequently, whenever you, when the pandemic is over and you step <laughs> outside your house again, <laughs> um, everything you see is politics. The roads you drive on, that's politics in action. Those roads get repaired or don't get repaired because of political actions and tax money the taxes you see in your paycheck, the schools you send your kids to if they're public schools. Politics impacts you 24 hours a day. Even if you don't think it does, it is always there in the background. And so I continue to do this because I, I want people to be as educated about politics as possible, even if they don't agree with me. I want them to make informed decisions. I want them to recognize how important this is on a local level to their lives. And I feel like one of the things we do here especially on our website, is we do try to look at it through the perspective of voters and normal people. Because when you're so wrapped up in national politics, it can make people feel powerless and it can make people feel frustrated. But I want to be a part of something that looks at the voters and tries to look at local issues where we talk to normal everyday people because they need to realize local politics especially affects you all of the time. And so I'm proud to be a part of, a, of an organization that that does that. Um, so that's the how I became involved and that's the why I continue to do it. The what I do in my average life is, I think like a lot of us, I just try to communicate constantly with those around me. Um, 
I try to listen to people like you said, Josh, who don't necessarily agree with me. I've realized the importance of that, especially as we're doing this work of talking to those who may not see things the same way I do. Um, and really, I just throw myself into our work here. Um, I mean, I think that's the most impactful thing I can do at this point is just continue to try to expand our reach and grow what we're doing here. Well said. Who's next? I'll let Alex go first. Rude. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so uh, how did I join uh, PointCast? Well, um, mostly Josh invited me. So uh, Josh and I have been friends for a couple of years and um, really, um, really got to know each other through political discourse. Yes. Like uh, I was living with a friend at the time, um, one of Josh's uh, college friends, um, and he just came over for a weekend one, uh, one time and uh, he and I like, just hit it off. And um, after about 35 minutes of uh, like of niceties, we were um, discussing uh, let's say something political. Um, so when he started the show, uh, he just let's say he I guess he thought I would be a good fit and just kind of said, "Hey, I'm doing the show. Why don't you come on?" And uh, I really uh, fell in love with it. So uh, which really goes into uh, like why I continue to be here is uh, I really like and I really believe in the message of this organization. Uh, primarily, voters, uh, whether they realize it or not are the most powerful political resource. Um, and it's a shame and a, like a travesty that uh, 50, you know, 50 plus percent of them uh, don't feel like, like are so disenfranchised or so disconnected from the system that they just don't participate. And um, I think this is just me. Uh, this is especially amongst young people. Um, so this is like a, just a platform that we can use to uh, communicate and maybe try to get um, those people involved and make them feel like, uh, make them realize how powerful they actually are. So uh, what difference do uh, I try to make? Um, so I try to be as much of a like, say uh, fair uh, and human like and humanist as possible so like i don't like taking like uh partisan stances despite that i uh frequently seem to do so um, <laughs> like uh i'm like i'm really idealistic and i believe that um humans are at their best when we try to be more um and so uh, I get really upset like when, like when something uh, say, seems unfair or unjust and that's not the way that it should be. And so I try to uh, provide a voice for, this is the way that this should be, this is why it should be that way. And here's the evidence that supports what I'm saying. Very cool. Does Gail get to have a voice, or should I just go? Well, that depends on Gail. <laughs> Are you gonna? Is she staying with the glamour shot and the mute shot? Yes, I am. Yes. Gail, you want to share yours? 
She's having none of it, Francine. It's on you. Apparently not. Yeah. Okay. I guess it's all on me. Um, It's really inspiring to listen to you all. Um, When Pointcast uh, came about, when I was, is, let me back up a little bit. I used to work in government a long time ago, not a long time ago, a little while, about 10 years ago. And um, one of the things I discovered is that there are a lot of people in government making a lot of decisions without the participation of voters. And there was a lot of power being passed around and uh, voters weren't at that table. And there's a tradition of leaving voters out. You know, there are ways to include the voices of voters even after the election is over. And so that really bothered me. So I got a project at the time I was like, I used to handle marketing campaigns for for, you know, politicians. And so I got a marketing campaign about education initiative. And one of the things I thought was a good idea was to call the teachers and principals and talk to them and see what their needs were. Well, believe it or not, I thought it was great. I put together this wonderful presentation, but I got in trouble because I talked to them. And I'll never forget one of the things I was told was that you're off the project because you all you did was a can of worms. Nobody wanted to hear from them. And it really kind of, because I was an idealistic kind of, a uh, voter like, you're, like, like you were saying, Alex, uh, I am, a kind of idealistic in that I really want to believe that we're doing what's best. I really want to believe that we're considering their voice because I really believe we work for them when we're in that, in that capacity. But there are some people in government that don't feel that way, who don't feel that they are there to serve others. They feel that they're there and we are to serve them. And so in order to uh, rebalance the scales, what I wanted to do was uh, create an organization that encourage voters to share their voices and to recognize their true power in this democracy. As a matter of fact, it's not a democracy if we don't have more participation from voters. That's what's really going to make it a democracy. So I got involved in this concept and really tried to push it forward and, and decided to let it morph into all of its different things that it has and even to what we have today because I wanted to be organic and authentic. You know, whatever the voices of voters kind of led us to become is what I what I am looking forward to. So that's kind of convoluted. <laughs> got me here. What got me here was seeing the disservice that voters were getting in government. We weren't thinking about them. Um, that's the how. Why I'm involved is because again, I think that voters are the most important piece of the democratic puzzle. And um, I don't think we do enough to engage voters on purpose because that would d- diminish the power that particularly partisan want to main- maintain. They count on people not voting so they can do what they think is best. And uh, I think that can be very dangerous. It's worked out sometimes and sometimes it hasn't worked out. But I don't like gambling with uh, our democracy. So um, the difference that I try to make um, when I'm not on one of these podcasts is I try to engage voters directly. I try to contact politicians. Some people are more open than others uh, and, and talk to them about what we're doing. Some people I try to get engage and get them involved in what we're doing. Um, I think people are going to sit and wait. <laughs> the way our politicians are here in Indiana, they don't want to be the first to do a thing unless they come on and share their narrative. Not every politician I've talked to if I gave them the mic and told them that, you know, that they can just talk about what they want to talk about, they were fine. But when I told them that we have questions from voters, then it changed. So uh, we're going to continue to hopefully uh, nurture those conversations with those people who we elect to serve us. And we're going to continue to have conversations with voters 
you know, really helping them to understand how much power they have and that voting, regardless of party, is the most important thing we can do with our citizenry, our citizen rights. That's, that's what we have to, to do to keep everything on track. Otherwise, we'll have, you know, politicians trolling each other. <laughs> and trolling us. <laughs> yes. And we'll have people not making decisions that are for the greater good. And that's, that's very dangerous. You know, I, I feel like our democracy is, is fraying at the edges, right? I feel like we are, uh, we've been bought and paid for and uh, by certain interests that want to keep things uh, the way that they are. And what I'm hoping is that I'm wrong and I'm hoping that we talk to the voters to help them understand why they need to do. Um, that was a long response. <laughs> Well, it, it, it makes sense that you would have the longest, given that you're, you know, one of the founders of this, yes. this whole political organization, so. And I came to each of you, just so you know the backstory, the first person I went to was Gail, and I was doing an editing job, I think, for her, some video, and I mentioned it to her, and I said, yes, I want to get you involved. And what I've been doing, doing during the course of this is really listening to voters that bring them in, trying to see if they have that other sense, right? They not just, oh, this is my opinion, but they have a bigger sense of why, why their voice matters and trying to find ways to involve people like that a little bit more. And, and hopefully we can, we can have people at some point from all of these different diverse backgrounds sharing their voices and, and coming together behind issues that impact all of our lives. Well, good. Good. I think that this was this is very enlightening both for myself and for everyone else. Um, I, I know how I felt about this organization, but I know that I've never directly asked any of you, with the exception of Francine, uh, you know, why you're here. Not not even just that you're here. And the, obviously, I enjoy all of you. You guys are all wonderful people. But uh, I think it's important that we all we got we all know where we stand and we all know why we're in this because we're in this <laughs> and we're in it together. And we we you know especially right now we've, we've got to be in it together because that's the only way we can make it through something like this without completely falling apart so before we get out of here i do want to you know say my own little piece here i i do i know you've probably heard this from everywhere else but you're going to hear it from here too thank you for everybody who's still out there who has to be out there who's doing what they can for everybody who you know either may not have a choice or maybe it doesn't make the best choices <laughs> either way uh you know essential workers healthcare workers everybody out there on the front lines thank you so much for doing what you're doing because you're you are the people who are helping to keep this nation alive right now and without you guys we would be in a much worse situation than we ever would have possibly even thought about so thank you again you can't hear it enough but we are very much appreciative and along with that um you know check us out on facebook if you haven't already, uh, we got some very interesting things there. We share articles like almost every day that are almost always worth your worth your while. Again, pointcast.news is where you can check out any other podcast episodes uh, or, or recap or anything else. And yeah, I think that's just about it. Thank you guys for joining me for this one wonderful remote episode of Pointcast Recap. And uh, yeah, I guess we're good. Go take us out.